to the book of Judges, chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. Before we get into this, um, we've been talking for a few weeks about how we're going to start prayer meetings here in the church. Well, we are starting our first prayer meeting this week. We'll be kicking off our first prayer meeting this week. Now, um, we'll be holding it out at Rob and Wendy's place. At the end of church, we'll have an address flashing up on that screen for you so you know where you're going. Uh, but they live, just go down there, hang a right, the left, the right, straight ahead, Something like that was explained to me. So we're going to put the address up there, but we're going to pray at 7.30 on Tuesday night. Now, we we're going to start bang on 7.30. We want to respect the fact that these guys are busy as well, and, and um, uh, we're going to start bang on 7.30. So try to be there on time. We're going to be going for about 40, 45 minutes max, and I want us all to then clear out after that. We're not going to be doing teas and coffees and that. These guys have got um, busy lives. We've all got busy lives. Uh, I know we used to run connect groups years ago for churches and have people hanging around until one o'clock in the morning and you sort of, you do the right thing and you don't want to ask people to leave your house, but then, you know, we get up the next day and you're completely wasted and, and, and hopeless at work and stuff. So what we want to do is try to respect that time. We're getting together for a purpose. We want to pray. We want to pray for those people in our region that we know love God, that have a relationship with God, but for whatever reason have decided not to fellowship at church anymore. We've, God has laid that on our heart, that that's the first group of people that we want to pray for. There are a lot of people in this area that have been burnt out on religion or church, they can, whatever it is, and a lot of them have valid reasons why they don't want to go, but they're still a vital part, uh, important part of what God wants to do in this region. So we want to pray for the Spirit of God to move upon those people. We want to pray for God to bring those people back into fellowship because you, you, you won't achieve anything by isolating yourself. You know, me and my wife, we've shared our story here. We did that for a while. We did it with the best of intentions and for very valid reasons, what we thought. But at the end of the day, you look at yourself and you go, you know what, it's achieving nothing. It's not helping the kingdom of God. It's not helping me. And we need to get into fellowship together. So we're going to specifically pray for those people. So maybe if you know some people in your world, write their name down, bring them along. Let's pray for them. Let's get together and let's ask God to move upon their hearts. Amen. So that'll be Tuesday, 7.30. Uh, we'll flash the address up there uh, after church. Okay, Eamon Jones was assigned to the induction centre where he advised new recruits about their government benefits, especially their army insurance. It wasn't long before Captain Smith noticed that Eamon Jones was having a staggeringly high success rate selling insurance to nearly 100% of the recruits he advised. Rather than ask about this, the captain stood in the back of the room and listened to Jones' sales pitch. Jones explained the basics of the army insurance to the new recruits. Then he said, if you have GI insurance and go into battle and are killed, the government has to pay $200,000 to your beneficiaries. If you don't have GI insurance and you go into battle and get killed, the government only has to pay a maximum of $6,000. Now, he concluded, which group do you think they're going to send into battle first? Which group do you think they're going to send into battle first? How many of you know that the church is an army? How many of you know that the, there are two main pictures in the Bible of the church? There are a lot of sub-pictures, but there are two big pictures. One is we're a family, and we do family pretty good. You know, uh, We love each other. We are supportive to one another. We, we help each other through tough times. We do the family thing quite good. When I say the church, I'm talking about generally speaking, all right? The church as a whole. We are known out there in the community. We've got some bad press and things that go on as far as the church as an organisation goes, but individually as people, most people think we are nice people. Is that right? We're nice people. We're trustworthy. We're, we're honest. We're good people. We're, we live up to the idea of the church being a family, and we do a pretty good job of living up to that. But how many of you know there's another picture in the Bible of the church, and that is of an army as well. 
The church is also referred to as an army. There's a lot of warfare language in the Bible. You know, fight the good fight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that has battle imagery attached to it. We are in a battle. We are in a battle. We can bury our heads in the sand and we can pretend that it doesn't exist or we can face the reality of the fact that there is an enemy out there that hates you with the same passion that is mirrored by the love of Christ on the cross. God has incredible love for you, incredible compassion for you, grace for you. God wants the best for you. And to the same degree, the enemy doesn't like you at all. Satan doesn't like you at all. The Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren, stands before the throne of God and accuses day and night, sits there going, not worthy to be yours, God, not worthy to be yours, God, not worthy to be yours, God, unrelentlessly gets in your ear, tries to tell you all these reasons why you're not worthy to be called God's, why you can't do this, why you can't do that, why you shouldn't be doing this, why you shouldn't think that about yourself and so on. He's relentless in his pursuit to try to pull you away from a passionate relationship with God in the same way that God is passionately drawing us towards himself and towards the Father. There is a lot of battle imagery in the Bible, and there are certain things, just in the natural. My son uh, brought home uh, an application form this week for the army. Uh, we've got a 19-year-old boy. He's not here this morning. He's got to play football uh, out of town, but uh, you all know Caleb. He's been here. He wants to join the army, so he came home this week with the application forms to join the army. And we're going through the forms, and there is a lot of stuff that you have to go through. A lot of questions have to be answered about history, experience, uh, fitness. I mean, there's a lot of information there that he's ticking through, and he's sitting down with us, and we're going through it, and we're trying to find uh, information to verify this answer and that answer. There's a lot of criteria. There are things that they look for in the natural army before you can be enlisted in that army and be trusted to go and to fight for your nation. You know, I believe in a similar way there are things that God looks for when he enlists soldiers in his army. I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God. We receive that through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ and our faith in that. But I do believe that there are certain things that God looks for in us if we want to put our hand up and say, Father, use me to the maximum of my potential. Use me, God, to make a difference in my generation. Use me, God, to make a difference in my society. Just because we are born again doesn't mean that we will go out and achieve everything God has for us. There are other factors involved in that. Just because I gave my life to Christ, there's no guarantee that I will succeed in everything he wants me to do. Just because I've given my heart to Christ, there are a few more things that I have to do, decisions I have to make, choices I have to make, okay? things I need to lay aside, things I need to prioritise. We've been talking about some of that stuff over the last few weeks. We've been talking about managing our time and redeeming time and uh, talking about choices and things like that. I want to focus this morning on this whole aspect of warfare, this whole aspect of being the army of God. You know, we're pioneering a new church here. Those of you that are new here today, uh, we've only gone for a few months. Uh, myself and my wife Jackie were only appointed as pastors of this church about four weeks ago. So we're still very young in what we're doing. And we're trying to pioneer something. And, and whenever you're trying to pioneer something, there's a certain amount of resistance that comes against that. There's a natural, natural resistance, of course, of we're small in numbers and people come along and, you know, uh, not everybody wants to be part of something that's being built. Some, a lot of people want to walk into something that's already established. They don't want to be part of the building process. They just want to walk in, see 100 people, the worship team, the sound, everything. Go. And, that's, and that's fantastic. That's the way they're wired. That's what they want. That's great. No worries. But if you're going to be a part of something small, you've got to be prepared to put your hand to the plough. You've got to be prepared to fight 
a little bit because you will have resistance that will come against you. Resistance from the enemy who doesn't want you to be a part of what's going on here in this church, doesn't want you to be a part of whatever it is that God has for you in your life. And if you're here, I'm making the assumption that you feel like God has called you to be a part of this church. If you're visiting today, that's fine. I'm not trying to drag you in or anything like that. But I'm just saying, now as you that are here, you obviously feel like God's got something in you. So I'm just letting you know that you're going to need to stand up and fight. You're going to need to stand up and you're going to need to fight. In Judges chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, we get this interesting passage. It says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. Now check this out. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. It goes on in verse 4 and it reiterates again. It says, And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Here's a generation of people that have not needed to know how to fight. Battles have been won beforehand and they've walked into a situation where they haven't had to fight. But God's saying, you know what? That's not healthy. That's not part of my plan for my people. I want my people to know how to fight. So the Bible says that God left certain nations there so that this generation that had not known warfare would learn how to fight. God wants us to know how to fight. God wants us to know how to rise to the challenges that come up against us. God wants us to know how to resist and stand against the works of the enemy in our life. God wants us to build that kind of strength inside of us because the Christian life is not just meant to be a a bed of roses and, and pie in the sky and walk it. There's a side of it that's that. There's a side of it that's victory, but you don't get victory without a battle. You don't get the spoils of victory without learning how to fight. You don't get the joy of overcoming something, feeling like an overcomer, if you're unable to overcome in the first place. Okay? So God wants us to fight. God left the whole, God left nations of people here against Israel so that they would learn to fight. He wanted to test their ability to fight. He wanted them to be, be, be bulked up and muscled up. Spend some time in the gym, be alert, learn how to use a sword, learn how to use a shield. He wanted them to learn how to fight because it's important for God's people to know how to fight if we want to take ground. If you don't want to take ground in your life, if you don't want to take ground in your community, whatever, that's completely fine. God won't force that upon you, I'm sure. But get comfortable where you are with the level of blessing you're living in right now, uh, with with, with the relationship you have with God right now, be comfortable with the relationship you have with your spouse, with your children, be comfortable with where you're at financially, just be comfortable. You're going to heaven one day, fantastic. The problem is, there's a whole nation of people out there that aren't going with us. And the devil's not walking around going, oh, you want that one? Okay. Oh, you want that one? Okay. Oh, which one? That one? Okay, there you go. You know. He's doing everything he can to stand against us. And he's not going to give up himself without a fight. He's been defeated. We have won the war. But there are battles to be fought along the way. And we need to learn how to fight. And God wants us to know how to fight. It seems like a really extreme measure for God to go to to find out something that realistically he already knows. He left these nations there to test them to see if they would obey him. But doesn't God know? Anyone? Well, maybe it wasn't about God knowing. Maybe he left them there so that they would get a bit of a reality check and maybe they would know. Maybe it was for their benefit. God knows me better than I know me. And I know me 
until something happens in life and then I realise, oh, hang on a second, I, I, maybe I don't know me because I didn't think I'd do that. Have you ever had one of those situations in life where pressure's come against you and you've reacted in such a way that you've walked away later on and looked at yourself and gone, my God, I, I never would have seen that coming. I can't, I, I can't believe that I would do that. God knew you would do that. God knew you had potential to do that. So he lets a little bit of pressure there. And this erupts and now all of a sudden, not only does God know it, now you know it. So now we can begin to work together and we can begin to see what has to happen for you to overcome that area of your life. God knows this stuff. But it's important for us to learn how to fight. Opposition is in our lives to teach us how to fight, how to stand on God and his promises. Seems like an extreme measure to go for God to find out something that he already knows, but perhaps it was for their knowledge. And perhaps some of the pressure and the resistance that we face in our life is for our own benefit and for our own knowledge as well. So that we can see what's going on. So that we can stand up, muscle up, know where we need to build those muscles, know where we need to strengthen ourselves. Because God wants a strong race of people. God wants his people to be not only a great loving family, but he wants us to be warriors. He wants us to know how to fight. He wants to be able to call upon us in battle and know that we will obey him, that we will do what he's asking us to do, and that we will break through. He wants to know that we have that soldier's mentality, not just be the Brady Bunch, but he wants us to be you know, an army as well. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says this. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. We've all heard this verse a million times. And Revelation 12 tells the story of, of, of a battle going on in heaven. And the Bible says that, that the archangel Michael, I think it was, threw the devil out. The devil was defeated. He was cast out of heaven. He came down to earth and there was great joy and, and, and declaration that, that God has come and the kingdom of God has come and the power of God has come and so on. Basically, God has overcome the enemy. God has defeated the enemy. But the enemy was cast down to earth. And then the Bible goes on and says, they overcame him, as in the people of God, the ones that the enemy came after, they overcame him by two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives to the death. We need to understand a couple of things. We need to understand that we are called to overcome. We are not called to bow down and to submit to all the pressures and the problems in our world. We are called to be the kind of people that overcome situations when we face them. Okay? We are called to be overcomers. Nations were left there to be defeated by Israel not to defeat Israel. The situations in my life that I'm aware of that are there, that God has allowed for whatever reason. Now, now, now be very clear on this. I'm not saying God makes all these things happen to us. Okay? There are some things that have happened to us that are very, very bad. And God doesn't make them happen to us. But we all know if God is as big as we think he is, he to stop it. Why didn't he? Why didn't he? So God didn't make these things happen to me. But I know some of the traumas I've gone through, the pressures I've gone through, and things I'm going through now. God's not making them happen. God's looking going, I'll allow that to happen and I'll use that for my glory. All things, all things, all things work together for the good of those that love God. All things, not just some things. Everything that has happened in my life is happening in my life and will happen in my life can be turned around and can be used for the glory of God. But I've got to learn to fight to make that happen. I've got to learn to fight so that that can come to pass. Otherwise, how many of you know we can be defeated by things? We can be taken out. We can be wiped out. We can have a lot of bad things happening in our life and we don't respond the right way to it. We don't stand up. We don't resist. We don't fight. And we can be overcome. And we, I'm sure everyone in this room, we have testimonies of stories of times where we have been overcome by things. And it's not because God hasn't won. You know, I used to go to a, a, a church years ago 
in Bundaberg, and, and I'm not, not bagging on anybody, but it used to bug me. It used to bug me that it was one of those churches where um, we would just, you know, everyone would just walk around going, no, no, buy stripes, I'm healed, buy stripes, I'm healed. No, no, I'm, I'm prosperous, I'm the head, I'm the, not the tail. So I believe all that stuff passionately with all my heart. I believe that stuff. It's in the word of God. It's who I am, I believe. But you know what? They'd be saying, oh, buy stripes, I'm healed. But, and meanwhile, they've got snot flying out their nose and, and things going all over their bodies. And, and, and it's like, I almost felt like saying, do you realise if you're looking like that, as sick as you are, and you're telling God you're healed, I can imagine God going, do you want me to heal you? Oh, no. So you think that's healthy? Okay, then you don't need me to heal you. So that's healthy? Okay. No, no. You can declare all those promises of God. This is what it is, by his stripes I'm healed. But right now, you know what, my body's under a little bit of physical pain here, but by his stripes I'm healed, healing has been made way, and I can receive that healing. But I've got to say to God, you know what, I need to receive that healing because it's not there right now. This is not a normal body. This is not how I should be functioning right now. And, and, and there will be people in this church and they would deny this stuff. I, I'm, I'm not a believer in denying the reality of the world as we have it now. But that's not the full stop, is it? My life is a certain way, but that's not the full stop. This book is the full stop. What this word of God says about me and my situation, that's the full stop. But how many of you know to get from where I am currently now to seeing that come to pass in my world is not going to happen just because I say a couple of scriptures. I've got to fight to get that to happen. I've got to fight to make this word come alive. I've got to fight to get this stuff to become a reality in my life. The devil's not just going to sit back and let it happen. I've got to fight. And God wants me to learn how to fight. God wants me to learn how to resist. God wants me to learn how to stand on what this book says. Even when my world doesn't feel that way, even when it doesn't line up and look like that, God wants me to learn. He gives us a few keys here in this passage in Revelation as to how we do that. We're called to overcome. We're called to win. You know, the church should be leading society. How many of you believe that? How many of us actually believe that? We should have the best musicians in the world in church. We should have the best interior decorators in church. We should have the best school teachers, the best educators, the best scientists, the best of everything should be coming from the church. Maybe? Should we? The smartest minds in, in technology should be coming out of the church. The greatest designers should be coming out of the church. The best entrepreneurs, the greatest ideas should be coming out of the church. Because we have God. We have God. We have God on our side. Not only do we have the same opportunity everybody out there does as well, but we've got God on top of that. The best stuff should be coming out of the life of the church, but we've got to fight to see that happen. We've got to fight to push through to make that stuff happen because not only do we have God, but guess what? We have a level of resistance against us too that they don't have to deal with. So they don't know God. They're not in relationship with God right now. I do. They want to do something. I want to do something. Who do you think the enemies are more worried about? Who do you think is going to face the greatest level of opposition spiritually? Is it them? You know what? I think the devil's happy for them to prosper out there and not know him. He doesn't. That's no threat to him. You know why? Because they're going to prosper, become millionaires. They're not going to pour their money into missions. Because they don't know God. Anyone in here want to prosper, get financially successful? Do you think the enemy's worried about that? Why? Because he knows if you get there... You're going to pour that money into the kingdom of God and he doesn't want that. So who's going to face the greatest level of resistance from the enemy? I've got a funny feeling the people sitting in buildings this morning worshipping God are going to be facing a fair bit of resistance. Because you are the army of the Lord. You are the army of God. You are the ones. We are the ones that God is calling to shape society, to shape our communities, to shape our world, to show the world what a good mother looks like, 
to show the world what a father looks like, to show the world what a great marriage looks like, to show the world what it looks like to have integrity in business, to show the world what it looks like to be a great school teacher, to be a great engineer, a great designer, to show the world what it looks like to be a great farmer. That's what we want to do. That's what we're called to do. But there will be a level of resistance. But we're called to it. We're called to be the head, not the tail. We should be unashamed of our faith. We should be unashamed of the church. We should be unashamed of the cross. We should be leading society forward instead of chasing them. How many great ideas happen out there in the world and then all of a sudden, a month later, somebody in church is going, oh, let's do this. It should be the other way around. We should be coming up with the great ideas and they should be sending people in the back of churches looking around going, how are they doing this? Oh, I'm going to take that back to Microsoft and can't believe what Luke's doing on those screens. That is amazing. Sneak up there, have a look what he's... Oh, he's pushing those... Oh, wow. Quick, take it back to Microsoft, back to Apple. Let's do something. This is the way I believe the world should be. I'm being idealistic, but you know what I'm trying to say. The best and the smartest should be coming out of the church. We've been the family for a long time. It's time for the church to rise up and be a little bit more like the army that God's called us to do. In verse 10, we see God overcoming the enemy. We see Satan cast down and God get the victory. This is in Revelation 12. Then we see that it's our turn to get victory as well. God's victory over Satan was totally independent of our involvement. God didn't need our involvement to defeat Satan. He did that. But our victory is totally dependent on God's involvement. Our victory is totally dependent on the involvement of God. The cross is the foundation for our victory. It's the reason why we can be victorious. So three things we get out of this passage in Revelations in relation to warfare and being an army. The first one is that the cross is the foundation of our victory. The cross is the foundation of our victory. Without that moment in history, we have nothing of which to defend ourselves. We have nothing of which to attack and go forward when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to the battle. If the cross didn't happen, we got nothing but ourselves to rely on. We got nothing but ourselves and our own powers, our own intellect, our own abilities. The cross is the very foundation of our victory. The blood of the Lamb, Jesus did this for us. It's no coincidence that this comes before our testimony. How did they overcome him? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb was first, the foundation of our victory is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, speaking of the cross, it says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and Jesus has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over it in them. He has disarmed the power of the devil. The devil is disarmed. He's had his weaponry taken from him. This is foundational to our understanding of the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, the enemy had his weaponry taken away from him. Now that doesn't mean that he still doesn't come after you swinging. He still comes after you swinging, but he's disarmed. He's disarmed. He's disarmed. The devil doesn't want you to think that. He wants you to think that he's big, he's bad, he's coming after you, he's got your measure. The devil doesn't want you to understand what the cross was all about because the revelation and the understanding you have of what exchange took place at the cross is the same degree to which you will actually have testimonies to overcome. Let me give you some examples. If you don't believe that healing was a part of the cross, if you don't believe that when Jesus died on that cross, a door was open to supernatural healing, 
where your body can be sick and the doctors can tell you one thing, but God can come on in by His Spirit and change that and fix that and do stuff. If you don't believe that part of the cross involved healing, then you will never have a testimony of healing of which to overcome the enemy. Even if you do get healed by God, you will justify it in other ways. That was the tablets I took, it was the pills, it was the doctor, it was the alternative medicine, it was because I stopped drinking milk. You understand what I'm saying? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The foundation is the cross. We will only ever have testimonies based upon our revelation of what the cross actually meant to us. If you don't believe that the cross uh, has given you the ability to live free from shame and guilt of your past, if you don't believe that the cross dealt with your past, then you will continue to live with shame and guilt and you'll never have a testimony where you can say to somebody, guess what, Jesus took away my shame and guilt because you don't believe it was dealt with at the cross. Your revelation of the cross is this big. If you don't believe that on the cross Jesus opened the door to prosperity. Now, I hate saying that because it's been taken to an absolute extreme in Christianity and I hate it and I don't mean prosperity in the sense of, of, of 15 cars and big houses. I don't believe in that. It's selfish. It, I, I, I'll make it clear. That's not what I mean when I say prosperity. What I mean when I say financial prosperity, you have enough to do all that God has called you to do. I'm married. I need to be able to have enough money to look after my wife. I've got four kids. I need to be able to look after my kids. I know that when I don't have enough money, uh, it, it, causes, it can cause arguments, it can cause tension, it can cause physical stress when you've got bills coming in. So I'm talking about prosperity. I'm talking about having enough to do that which God has called you to do. That is prosperity. That's just financial prosperity. Prosperity is so much more than that. It's my body, my mind, my soul. It's, it's the whole thing. But when I'm talking about financial prosperity, I believe when Jesus died on the cross, it opened the door for lack to be taken out of my life that I can now have what I need to be successful in this life and do what God has called me to do and be who God wants me to be. If you don't believe that the power of the cross has anything to do with changing that, if you don't believe when Jesus died on the cross, the door opened up for that, guess what? You'll never have a testimony of that. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The degree to which we have a revelation of the cross, to the degree to which we understand the impact of the cross and what happened, we will only ever have testimonies in that particular area. If you don't believe, if you don't believe that when Jesus died on that cross, that the Holy Spirit was released from heaven, the temple curtain was torn in two, and no longer do you need to go to a priest or a pope or anybody like that to get them to talk to God on your behalf. If you don't believe that the temple veil was torn in half and you can have a relationship with God and go face to face to him, if you don't believe that, that God can speak to you, you will never have a testimony of hearing God's voice. Because you don't believe it. If something does happen, you'll just blame the ham sandwich you had last night. You know, when I got saved, I was 19 years of age. 19 years of age. And I was lucky enough to get discipled, um, probably different to what a lot of people get discipled in the church. I got discipled uh, straight away with heart stuff and relationship with God, more so than just head knowledge of what the Bible says and that. Uh, so I, I, I was very, very blessed. When I look back at the way I was discipled when I first got saved, I'm, I'm very glad that I got the foundation I did. I remember being at Coffs Harbour in a Chinese restaurant. I was 19 years of age. I'd just been saved. And, and um, I'm sitting down having uh, a, a meal with a, a church youth pastor uh, here in Ballina who had a bit to do with me coming to Christ. And I'm sitting there and I'm here and I've got my plate of fried rice in front of me and I looked up and he's sitting there and there's a lobster in a fish tank. And I turned and I looked at the lobster... And I tell people a lobster spoke to me. <laughs> and this, this lobster said to me, I want you to join Youth with a Mission and I don't care what your father thinks. It was clear as a bell. Now, you know what? I had been 
discipled in, with an understanding of the cross, that that temple veil was torn in two, and now I can personally have a relationship with God. I can hear his voice. He listens to me, and I listen to him. And so when that happened, I knew that it was God. And I came home, and it set the course of my life. I did. I went and joined this organisation called Youth with a Mission, and I went... Away. My dad thought I was a crazy idiot because my dad was not a believer, thought I was stupid. Anyway, I came back. I'd been back in Ballina for one week after being away for six months and I'm sitting on the lounge and my dad says to me, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I rolled my eyes like all kids do and go, oh, here we go, it's coming now. I don't know, Dad, I don't know. I don't know. And he looked me in the eye and he said, you know what, son, I reckon you should go back to that organisation. And I thought about the lobster. I thought, thank you, lobster. <laughs> but you know what? If I didn't that the cross opened up a door for me to hear the voice of God, I would never have that testimony. And when the enemy comes against me and says, God doesn't want to speak to me, God won't answer my prayers, guess what? I can say, no, he does, and let me tell you why. Because he's done this, 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 this. So you need to back off. I don't believe that because I know what the cross achieved for me. When we were living in India years and years and years ago, and uh, Johnny, my, my, my middle son here, who I love very much, when he was born, we were missionaries in India at the time and, 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 and Jackie fell pregnant with him and at that point in our life, we thought we were going to be in India forever. We didn't ever think we'd come back to Australia, didn't want to be here, loved India, would go back tomorrow if God released us and told us we could. And we fell pregnant with Johnny and Jackie's parents said, look, we could fly you home for the birth. She said, no, we're called to be in India, we will, we'll give birth here. So we stayed there and she did an amazing job. She gave birth in this Indian hospital and so on. But in the lead up to that, we were getting scans. There was a doctor from England, been trained in England and she was over there and she had all the medical scan things. And she starts scanning this young man in the belly and she notices there's something not quite right with him. And we'd go back for regular scans and the more the scans came, guess what? More and more it became obvious there was a massive problem with him. There was fluid all over his brain and he wasn't forming. And each time we'd go back for scans, it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And you know what? In between scans, we're doing the Christian thing and we're praying, asking God, you know, da, da, da. and you know what? It was so hard to do because you'd go back the next day and you'd get a scan and there's no improvement. It's still not coming good. It's still the same. As a matter of fact, the fluid's spreading, blah, blah, blah. It got to the point where it was almost like just looking at a, 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 a massive blob of fluid inside a, a sack of skin. And we went in there at 32 weeks, was it? 32 weeks. And we had a scan and she had a look and she's, we couldn't understand everything. She's saying to the doctors, blah, 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 abortion. Blah, 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 abortion. Blah, 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 abortion. That's the only word we could understand was abortion. And they said, turning back to us and they're going, there's nothing we can do. It's, you know, we can't, we can't do anything. He's going to be a vegetable. He's da, da, da. 32 weeks. He's meant to be coming out in, in eight weeks time. This is our, our second child. And, you know, we're all excited about what God is doing in India and so on. And then here's this resistance. Here's this pressure. All of a sudden, you start looking at, do I really believe that God is a healer? Do I really believe that God is a healer? Am I going to stand on what the cross achieved for me? Am I going to stand on the word of God, or am I going to bow down, give in, and start making plans? By the way, had we made plans, and I don't think God would be angry at us. I'm not saying that. And we would have loved him and gone on, and, and, and it would have been fine. But we would have missed something in our situation. In our situation. After 32 weeks, they said, there's nothing we can do. We, we beg with the doctor, please. Come on. She said, right here, I'll send you for one more scan tomorrow. And after that, our hands are off. We went home that night. We sat on the end of our bed. And like all great men and women of faith, we blubbered like little babies. <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, I'm not religious words at you anymore, God. I don't know what to do here, God. We were just bored like babies on the end of the bed and said, God, we're in your hands. We don't know. 
We don't know. We just know we love this child and we know it's not looking real good. And we know that at 32 weeks, she shouldn't look like that. And we bawled our eyes out and cried out to God. Wake up the next morning, jumped on the motorbike, which is the family car over there. Rode to the thing, went in, Jackie laid down, she had the scan. And the doctor scanned and the doctor starts, uh, I think, did he start chuckling? Had a bit of a laugh, didn't he? And then he turned to you and said, I'm not sure why you're here. So what do you mean? He said, you have a perfectly normal 32-week-old embryo in your body overnight. Why did God do that? I don't know. I'm not here to answer all the whys and the whens and the hows and all the intricate questions. The point I'm making is this. We believe that healing was a part of what Jesus opened a door for us on the cross. Why is everyone not healed? I don't know. Today's not the day for that. But what I do know is that the opportunity is there. What I do know is what Jesus did on the cross defeated sickness and opened the door. Now, because of that, because of our understanding of that, we now have this testimony, along with many, many, many other testimonies that we've witnessed and seen throughout the years. But you know what? If we didn't believe that part of the cross was the opportunity for healing to be released, we would never have that testimony. We would not be able to overcome the enemy in that area because we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's two things. What is your testimony? Your testimony is when you have overcome a test. You don't have a testimony without a test. Make sense? There's no testimony without a test. And your testimony is a physical picture of the spiritual power of the cross in human form. It's the spiritual power of the cross in human form. Every time you overcome and every time you stand on the word of God, you receive a testimony. And it's the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony that we use in warfare that we use to push the enemy back. James 1 verse 2 and 3 says this, says, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience must have its perfect work that you may be perfect, mature and complete, lacking nothing. It's interesting that James basically says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And then he moves on to the next sentence and basically says, various trials means the testing of your faith. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just your faith being tested. It's just your faith being tested. Do you really believe that? Or do you think you believe that? Do you believe it? Or do you believe it? I'll tell you what. The enemy knows whether I believe it or whether I believe it because he watches me. He sees me under pressure. He wants me to fold. He wants me to fail. He doesn't want me to walk in everything God has for me. But God wants me to walk in victory. God wants me to walk in all that stuff. Without the testing of your faith, you'll never have testimonies. You know, when I, when I uh, went to join Youth with a Mission when I was younger, and I went into this training school. We did three months of lectures, and then we had three months of outreach overseas. And during the three months of lectures, they did some teaching on, um, on finances and God's idea of finances. And, you know, we're, we're, we're the mentality of, of, of we should have with money and, and the kingdom of God's perspective on money. And we went through all this stuff. And, and, and I became convinced, I became convinced that through Christ's death on the cross that God could meet my needs. My God shall provide all my needs according to his riches in glory. All my needs. All my needs. One of my needs and one of your needs is finances. That's just a physical reality of the world we live in. 
valid, genuine need. We need money to survive. It's just the way it is. Okay? Until God starts, you know, manna from heaven and things like that, and that happens at times, but basically the general rule of thumb for us is you need money to pay your rent, buy your food, pay your... It's life. It's life. And so... I had to pray about where I was going to go overseas for a 10-week outreach thing. So I prayed and I felt the Lord say to me that I should go overseas to Indonesia. And uh, we ended up in um, Banda Aceh, which was the very point where the Boxing Day tsunami hit. The first place to get hit and wiped out. The whole city was wiped out. Uh, we were there, um, not, not a few years before that. Um, it was an amazing, amazing place. It's actually a place where they were training up Muslim missionaries and sending them out into the world. They had Muslim, Muslim training camps there and they would send them out. Um, so anyway... I felt like God said to go there, but I had no money because I come from a family that has no money, a uh, history of family that had no money. I had no money. No one ever had money, and I didn't know anyone that had money because it wasn't the world I lived in. All my friends had no money. That's why we joined together. We gathered around a common cause of having no money. Okay? And that was my world. So I'm thinking, okay, God, this is a I've never ever in my life been... I mean, up to that point, I'd never even been out of New South Wales. I drove across the border to Brisbane to do my training, and that's where I was at the time. So that's as far as I'd been even out of New South Wales. And God, you're saying to me, go to Asia. And now you're saying to me, I've got to buy an air ticket. And back in that day, it was, I think the total was $1,427.53. It was a very specific amount. And I said, well, Lord, you told me to go. So I, I, I went to my leaders and said, look, this is what I feel like God's saying. Where's the money? Well, I don't have the money. Um, can you pray with me? Let's believe God together. And they were great. Yep, let's believe God. We prayed. And every day, when, you're, when, you're, when, when you work in a mission agency, there's this little thing called letterbox. And it becomes like a shrine. You go there every day and you worship the letterbox. And you're just waiting for the Lord to do something wonderful. And where's the next check or the money? Or God, God. And so I went there every day, did my daily ritual, praying and begging at the, the shrine of my letterbox. And nothing would come, nothing would come, nothing would come. It was the day that we had to have the money handed in. Two o'clock, we had to hand the money in. We sat in lectures up until 12. I had nothing. I walked out to go to the lunchroom. And and I've only got two hours. And if I don't come up with the money, I'm not going. Simple as that. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know. Maybe God, I, you know, maybe I missed it on this one. I don't know. Anyway, I'm walking into the, to the thing. And I get in there to the lunchbox. Uh, get in there to the lunchroom. And I turn to the letterbox. And I see this white bit of paper in there. And, ooh, it's a letter for me. I ran over there a thousand miles an hour. Grabbed it, tore it out. It was from a lady that I hadn't seen for probably a good ten years. I hadn't had contact with her, knew nothing about her. And when I did originally know her, it was just when I got saved at Little Uniting Church in Ballander there and I probably bumped in, you know, had two or three conversations, that's it. She went on, she ended up having a bit of a marriage uh, separation, they split, she went down to Adelaide to go to a Bible college in Adelaide. And I opened up this letter and she's wrote me this beautiful letter and says, Dear Ellen, um, how you going? Da-da-da. I heard you've gone off to join Youth of the Mission. Da-da-da. I um, just want to um, let you know I sold my house last week. And in, when I sold my house, the Lord told me to give a certain percentage of money to each of my children. And then the Lord said to me, you're his child. And he wants me to give you some money. I flicked it over and there's a check. $1,423.53. Whatever. To the cent. To the cent was the amount. Now, do you think when God calls me to do something now that I don't have a weapon to wield against the enemy when he says, God won't provide, God won't provide, God won't provide. You only get testimonies by standing on the word of God and overcoming tests. To the degree that we understand the power of the cross, to the degree that we understand what it means to came him by the blood of the lamb, is the degree to which we are going to have testimonies to stand on. Let's get the news as to come back. We'll finish up. <laughs> Tell you a little story. Fact, faith, and feelings once went for a walk. Fact, faith, and feelings once went for a walk. 
They decided they'd go for a walk one day on a fence. Do you want to go and ask them can they turn their music off? That's the, that's the um, gym. So, anyway, hey, a few weeks ago I was preaching in a church in Brisbane. It was in a movie cinema. And I got three, five, about five minutes into my message and an usher came in and goes, sorry guys, you're going to have to pack up and go. We've got a movie starting in three minutes. So, I'm not worried about that. So, anyway, faith, fact and feelings decided to go for a walk along the top of a fence. And so, fact got out first and starts walking along the fence. And straight behind fact came faith. And then faith's walking along the fence. And straight behind faith, feelings got up and feelings started walking along the fence. And things were going really, really good. So long as faith kept its eyes on fact, things were going really, really well. But at one point, faith stopped walking and turned around and decided to have a look at where feelings were. As soon as it got its eyes on feelings, faith started to get a bit wobbly and was almost about to fall off the fence. And faith realised, geez, if I turn around and I look at fact and keep my eyes on fact while I'm walking, I should be pretty okay. But every time he turned around and he looked at feelings, he started to get a little bit wobbly. And the Christian life is like that too. We need to keep our faith focused on the facts. What has God done for us? What has God achieved for us? This book is a book of facts. There are some spiritual realities in here. You're not going to hear them anywhere else. You're not going to hear them on Oprah. You're not going to hear them on Letterman. You're not going to um, you know, read about them in Woman's Day. You're not going to probably see them on Facebook unless you're linked up with some really good godly people putting jazz on there. This book is a book of facts. It's a book of facts. And if we keep our eyes on the facts, if we keep our eyes on the facts, feelings will eventually follow. Feelings will eventually follow. What do you think soldiers do when they're called to war? Do you think they don't have feelings about that? Do you think they don't have feelings about leaving their family behind, their loved ones, their wives, their kids? Do you think they don't have feelings about that? Do you think they don't have feelings about knowing that when I'm over this hill, there could be a guy there with a gun, but I've got a job to do? If I don't do my job, who will? If I don't defend my nation, who will? If I don't take ground, who will? And spiritually speaking, we are the army of the Lord. We are an army. We've got to have that same dogged mentality. That verse finishes by saying, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life to the death. Reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego going into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar going, you know what? I'm going to kill you if you don't bow to me. And they said, you know what? Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow our knee to you. Because we know what the facts are. And the facts are there's one God. And it's not you, mate. So you can do whatever you want. And guess what? God saved them beautifully. They didn't even have the smell of smoke or anything. It's that attitude of a soldier, that attitude of warfare, that attitude of an army that we need to have. Christianity is not all about me. It's about what's going on out there this morning with all these people that can't be bothered to come to church. The world is not going to fight for them spiritually because they don't care. They don't care. We are the only hope that God has on planet Earth is the church. He's got one army. And I, I have this real stirring in my spirit that we are doing the family thing really good. But I can't help but thinking first, 
things happen in the natural world and they're a reflection of spiritual things that are going on. And there's a rise of militant religious activity against Christianity in the world, in the natural physical world. It's like evil is rising up and fighting hard. And I can't help but think, God, is that a reflection of what's going on in the spirit? The enemy is upping what he's doing. He's getting violent and aggressive against the church. And you know what? We are going to have to learn to fight or we will be useless in the kingdom of God. If we don't know how to fight, if we don't know how to stand on the truth, if we don't know how to resist the devil, if we don't know how to put ourselves in that position, if we don't know how to love our own lives to the death, not love our lives to the death, to, 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 to care not just about ourselves, don't make it all about me. If we can't be that, that people, if we can't do that, if we can't have that mentality, then what are we doing? I'm, I'm not happy to just be a part of a church that's just happy. I want to be happy. Don't get me wrong, I'm not stupid. I don't want to be sad. <laughs> and I love my life. I've got a great wife, great kids, and I love what we're doing here. I, we feel called of God. It's been great. But we have ground to take, people. We have ground to take. And we have an enemy who doesn't like it. And we've got to be able to resist that. Amen. Lord, I just want to pray uh, this morning, Father, for each of us in this place, Lord. And God, it, it is great, Father, being a believer. It's fantastic, God, the, the freedom from guilt, the freedom from shame, God, the, 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 the freedom, God, to live a, a whole life. To be fully human again is a fantastic and a wonderful thing, Father. And we couldn't do that if it wasn't for what you did on the cross. We wouldn't have the opportunity to do that if it wasn't for your sacrifice. If it wasn't for Jesus going, no, no, I've been tempted here. But no, I'm sent to this earth for a purpose. And that purpose is to give my life for the rest of humanity. God, if Jesus didn't have that, that, that soldier mentality, that focus, that steely reserve to do what he was meant to do, none of us would be here today. And Father, I know, God, that if... if your church doesn't have that same mentality, then, Father, we won't see. We won't see victory. We want to be happy, God, but we want to get our hands wet. We want to get a bit of blood on our hands too, God. Fight. We want to make a difference. We want to take ground, God. We want to see our community, our families, our nations, our friends bow their knee to Jesus. Faith. We want to see them become fully human as well, Father, because we know that you only find that in the presence of God. You only find that when God comes into your world. So I pray that you would just rise us up, God, as, 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 as the word has been to this church, that we would arise. We would arise. We would arise for the glory of the Lord is upon us. We would arise and we would stand up and we would draw a line in the sand and we would say, that's enough. That's enough. And we would push plans and purposes that you have for us, God. We thank you, Father, that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimonies, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all just stand and, and, and finish with a song together this morning.